Welcome to the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. We are excited to have Dr. Matthew Niemer, President of Colleges of Law, as our guest. All right, excellent. So I always like to start with, with your journey, your path. Um, you know, and, and it, a question that seems to resonate uh, well is a question about mentors. Now, maybe you can talk to us about who are and who were and who are your mentors today. Two people come to mind as my mentors, one from early in my career and one that's still a part of actively part of my career in higher education. Uh, I started in higher ed maybe 24 years ago uh, in a few months at George Washington University in DC. And one of the benefits of my position at that university was I was part of the, the public affairs office and being part of that office, you could get into some what I call rooms with senior leadership around a variety of issues, including some crisis issues on campus. And I was able in my mid-20s to be sitting in rooms with the senior president and provost and the administration at GW. And the president at the time was Stephen Joel Trachtenberg, who is an iconic figure in higher education leadership. He's, uh, he's still around. He's well-revered. He held that presidency for many years. And just watching him work in that space, watching him work as president was very impressionable for me. And he, whether he knew it or not, he was a mentor to me in the way I was just observing him as a leader and his sense of humor and his, his personality uh, really shined. And that just stayed with me. And there was a sense of humility to him. And when I'm in the room with them and you don't get that scene in the movie where the president has it all figured out, it's, it's a process and it's about getting all the information you can have to make an informed decision. And I was able earlier in my career to see that process at work. Uh, and then later in the career, uh, Dr. Michael Horowitz, who is the founder of TCS Education System, he has been a college president, he's been in higher education for decades watching him work and closer uh, than I had the opportunity with um, President Trachtenberg. Same thing, just, just observing him in action, seeing how he processes information, how he engages with people, how he articulates a vision, how he moves and inspires people to take action uh, has been very influential for me in my career. And I, that continues every time I have time uh, with him one-on-one. -on -one. So did you plan to be a president? I got there eventually. I started in higher education uh, with the desire to, to go into politics. I wanted to go into political communications and I wanted to be a, a message guy with uh, political campaigns. I wanted to write speeches and get into that world. That's what led me to DC. And I ended up working in the public affairs office for the university while I was going to school there. And then when I graduated, they offered me a full-time job. And that's when I pivoted to higher ed. And I haven't looked back. Uh, along that journey, in the time I spent at GW and then beyond, I became interested in uh, the senior level of administration, interested in the strategy of their work on how they 
respond to crises, how they respond to issues of the day. And again, early in my career, the opportunity to see that uh, firsthand, to be in the room when that was when that was being practiced. And I had an interest in pursuing that uh, along the way. And um, so I think the first step for anybody who's interested in being a college president or whatever they want to be is is declaring it, you know, coming to terms with something you want to do and declare it. And it becomes even more powerful when you invite others to, to enroll in that journey with you. And you be, might be surprised people to say, I want to be a college president or I want to do this, or whatever their whatever their goals and aspirations are, to share that with others and, and people will enroll in that and invest in it and, and give you mentorship and opportunities for you to pursue that. So I've had the benefit of that um, early in my career, and that helped me get in motion to where I'm at today. Well, let's talk a little bit about relationships and teamwork. Um, you know, you, you, you've spoken a lot about your, your mentors and really, you know, you, you can't do it alone. You know, you really need a team. And let's tie that to student success. You know, how do you define student success? And how does a student, how do you make sure that a student is prepared for uh, a career? Well, student success for us is um, not just completing an academic program and graduating, but being able to use the tools and experience and knowledge uh, into the work that they do beyond. We always say here at the College of Law that our mission are the graduates and you can walk the halls and we have all the graduation photos going back to the early 80s on campus. And in those photos are, are the mission of the school. It's the, the students that enrolled at the College of Law that went through, passed through the other side of the program and became licensed attorneys. And the, and the work they do in the community is the work of our school. So that's how I've always seen student success as uh, is what they do after graduation. And the better we are in preparing them for the realities that they face, for the skills and experiences they need to be successful to make a contribution professionally and personally is really what we're all about here. The curriculum is focused on that and we're really organized around providing the experience for students as they uh, beginning their first semester with us and beyond um, to be able to graduate and look back and say, and that's to us the, an example of, of success, graduate, look back and say, I came out of the college of law prepared and I'm able to hit the ground running and make an immediate contribution professionally that's to us, that's success. So how, you, you have roughly 200 students today, is that right? Well, we're actually just around 320, 330. Okay, okay. How, how big do you want to get, or how big can you get? We, we see growth in our master's degree, uh, where we relaunched the Master's of Arts and Law this fall. Uh, we see that as an opportunity of providing access to a legal education for those that may not want to go all the way through and do the JD program, may not want to go all the way through and, and study and, and, and pursue the bar. Uh, I think we have uh, an opportunity to, to grow and expand uh, with, with that program and with our, our new identity. Uh, the College of the Lodge this year, we've launched uh, a new branding identity. Uh, for many years used to be called the Santa Barbara Ventura Colleges of Law. We're now just the Colleges of Law. 
And I think that's going to open us up to um, new opportunities uh, to expand beyond where we're at today. And with that will come growth. As far as a goal for us to get to, we don't really think about like we need to get to this number or here's something that we're pursuing. We're just here to do the best that we can. Know that if, if we do that, that students will come and growth will follow. So how um, how do you compete in a in a relatively saturated market? It's about strategy, Brad. It, to compete, you need to be distinct. You need to find ways of, of breaking through. Uh, and you mentioned uh, it is there are a lot of law schools out there, especially here in California. And really, for many decades, our strategy was simple. We provided uh, access and opportunity to students that didn't have that, those opportunities with what we'll call a more traditional law school. And these were schools that were for really organized around full-time students that would take classes during the day. And you can just think through what would be the demographic of somebody like, it's usually somebody in their maybe early 20s. And the time when the school was founded in the late 60s, it was often men in their early 20s. And that's, they often would come right out of a undergraduate program into law school. And that's what law school was about. And when we came along, and we're not alone, there were other uh, schools that were focused on more of the working adults, on creating a night school experience, three nights a week. You come, you can still keep your day job. You can still have a family. You can still do things beyond law school and make this work. It was open to people that uh, maybe had a career that were in their 30s or beyond and wanted to pivot and do something new. We were organized around providing access to those individuals. And the results speak for themselves. So we, for many decades, found our place in the marketplace by providing uh, an opportunity uh, to pursue legal education in a way that other law schools weren't providing. And since then, we have uh, expanded again uh, with our hybrid JD program. Uh, we were the first accredited law school in the state of California to come out with a hybrid JD and that, that launched four years ago. And we uh, were able to open ourselves up to students that didn't, even with the night school, didn't have access to us because maybe they worked at night or had other obligations. That's what I think, not just law schools, but higher education, any organization, to be able to, to continue to grow and thrive, have got to find um, their niche in the marketplace and be distinct and stand out and come at uh, individuals and where they're at and always be innovating and always be thinking of new ways uh, and better ways to do what they do. And I think the College of Law is a good example of that. Uh, and it, it goes back to our founding 53 years ago. So was, was the hybrid JD, did that come about in part because, because of COVID? Hybrid JD predated COVID by a okay. few years. That came out of a, a strategic plan uh, objective to start a hybrid JD. This goes back six years ago. And to be able to do this project, first thing you need, you need to bring in people that are interested in this modality, that have um, the desire to make this happen. Uh, I was at the College of Law 
it would be seven years ago this fall. So worked with the board to put a goal around the hybrid JD program. Uh, along came our Dean and Chief Academic Officer, Jackie Gardino, still um, Dean with the Colleges of Law, who had a like desire to do this project of not just building a hybrid version of, of an existing JD program, but doing something bigger than that, completely reconceiving what it means to offer a JD program. In the early days of 2017, uh, Dean Gardena brought in uh, colleagues and experts from across the country here in Santa Barbara for a weekend. We call it the hackathon. And it was, it was hacking the JD curriculum and just breaking it down and using design principles to rebuild it into what it could be. Out of that came hiring of new people uh, to build out the project. Um, Associate Dean Andrea Funk joined us uh, and later, and she brought together a team to, to do more curriculum work. And then it launched in the fall of 2018. And COVID was you know, two years later. So we, as a result of this, had started to build the muscles around hybrid education, around different modalities of delivering a law school curriculum ahead of many other law schools. And so when COVID did hit, we had a head start and had the infrastructure in place to be able to pivot. Uh, I think pivot as well as we could, as fast as we could, and still deliver on the promise of a quality education um, along the way. So aside from COVID, uh, what's what's been the biggest surprise for you as the president? I mentioned the hybrid JD program. We had thought there would be interest in this program. We had somewhat modest expectations when we built out the pro forma for the program. And I was pleasantly surprised that expectations were far exceeded. And it really showed a pent up demand uh, within the law school market, within the legal education market uh, for a modality that was beyond just coming to class and, and studying on campus. Uh, so what we built was 70% online, and then we do have a residency where you'll come to campus one weekend a month and get your time together then. And it was uh, exceeded all expectations as far as interest in the program, as far as enrollment, and far as just attracting really high quality, excellent professionals who wanted to do something new and different and innovative in legal education that were attracted to the colleges of law because this is something we were focused on. And they told other people who learned about us who wanted to get involved. So the faculty with the hybrid program uh, are a blend of you know, practicing attorneys, practitioners, uh, and those with, with extensive legal education experience that were drawn to this project and wanted to be involved with it. So that exceeded all expectations. It was a pleasant surprise of how big of a win it was for the colleges of law, not just for enrollment, but for the student experience and the kind of people we were able to attract as a result. Well, and I, and I would imagine, and I don't want to assume this, but during COVID, how, how much of the day-to-day -day changed for you, for the students, for the faculty? Again, as you mentioned, you, you were really ahead of the curve in many respects and, and in, in many cases really prepared for a situation like that. Well, like all higher education for that matter, 
all sectors. Uh, March of 2020 was an immediate pivot. And we, I think, as I mentioned, had a bit of a head start over many other branches of higher ed. For the hybrid students who were at that point, it was you know, still in the early stages, but we've been running it for more than a year. Uh, we, it was business as usual. We had to go to the a remote residency. I mentioned the one weekend a month. So that was converted to a remote experience. And we had a little bit of time to get there. On-site, different, right? So we had still, come, just like in the day we were founded, the students would come to campus, they would sit in the classroom, and then there would be the professor. So did have to Pivot. We took a, we took that uh, I think third week off in March and re-engineered uh, our on-site JD experience, and then moved it you know all online and delivering it synchronously like like we're doing now. And then uh, we came back a week later, and I think the faculty needed to be just commended. Uh, as mentioned, a lot of our faculty are not full-time faculty. They're they're uh, Practicing attorneys, they're judges, commissioners, they work in the legal field. Uh, this is not their day job. This is something they do because they love it and they want to give back and they get a lot out of it. And for them just to, to put all the work that needed to go into doing the conversion of their courses to this new modality with the time that we had to work with was extraordinary. And so we were able to get back up and running within a week of of, you know, when the COVID lockdown started. And then, you know, as time passed, especially with our on-site program, we learned a lot from students and faculty, what was working, what could work better. We made adjustments. And as we all lived through it, we, we thought we might be back in the summer of 2020. Okay, well, we, we might be back in the fall of 2020 and it just carried on from there. But over time, we got better at uh, what we were doing, listening to faculty, listening to students. And I think um, it was commendable of how, how much we were able to accomplish. And I think the best we could do with the student experience, preserving it at the highest level of quality and excellence that we could given the circumstances. So what are the top two or three goals that, that you have in mind? You know, goals and maybe you can even add challenges. What are those top two that you're thinking of on a constant basis? Well, I'll say uh, challenges just in general in higher education. We've touched on this. I believe that higher education is going through substantive change. And we're seeing this across the sector with um, smaller institutions defined by, especially those with fewer than a thousand students, really um, wanting to go it alone just the, the the systems and the sophistication of being able, especially if you're an accredited institution of running your operations, is just going to become more and more of a challenge. And that's always going to be something that we face. And, uh, and doing it in a way that preserves affordability is the best that you can uh, and not compromise on excellence and quality. So all higher education is facing that. Uh, in addition, the uh, the marketplace, you mentioned this, and breaking through. Um, we were the first to come out of the gate with a hybrid JD program, but we knew that there would be others and that our competitive advantage with that modality would eventually um, 
diminish over time. It's the innovator's dilemma, you know, the Clayton Christensen work. Uh, you, the innovator that comes out first can ride the wave for a while, but you've got to keep innovating. You've got to keep focusing on continuous improvement because you have to expect that others will eventually catch up and then often they'll pass you if you're not uh, careful. So we uh, are up to that It's a constant challenge. But what we did with our new strategic plan, which we launched in the, in the fall of 2018, was we came out with a new vision statement to be a pioneer, pioneer in innovating, modernizing legal education. So we really put all of our chips on this um, commitment to innovation and to not just put the people in place to keep up with where uh, our sector is going, but try to be at the vanguard and to lead it. And, uh, but to never keep looking behind you to always have what I like to call productive paranoia, to always be looking around the corner of who's gaining on you and uh, to not let up. And I think great organizations over time are built that way. That's, we're here to keep the college's law going uh, for decades to come. We've been over a half a century and we want this to be here a, a half a century uh, from, from now and beyond. So what is the, what's the partnership look like with TCS Education? TCS Education System and the College's Law have been together for 12 years. So um, uh, we affiliated with TCS in 2010. And TCS is, I think, the future of higher education uh, for many institutions. Your major universities, your Big Ten schools, your SEC schools, your, your uh, Ivy Leagues, they're going to turn you on and doing what they do, the UCs. But for smaller schools and institutions, uh, as I mentioned before, it is going to be more challenging to go it alone. Um, and being able to bring in top talent, being able to uh, have access to top infrastructure and systems is and be able to deliver on an experience that, ex that meets and exceeds expectations of students is uh, always gonna be something that we, we face. What TCS allows the colleges of law have access to are all those things, to have infrastructure, to have systems, all those behind the scenes that make institutions of higher ed go, the student management system, the learning management systems, uh, all, the, all the HR systems behind the scenes that keep us uh, moving forward and, and to do so efficiently and effectively. That's something that TCS is good at. It's the, it's the classic uh, strategy of take your uh, back office operations and give it to somebody where it's their front office operations. And that's what TCS is all about. And financial aid is a good example. Marketing, Office of General Counsel, IT, technology, and student accounts. Um, financial planning and analysis, treasury office, all of those uh, are supported by TCS and supported by people that are really top tier in their profession. And that's the shared services model at work. It gets us really access to very specialized uh, professionals and expertise in a way that if we had still been on our own, I think it'd been more of a challenge to do so. It, for schools our size, you have a lot of what I'll call generalists, one person doing five jobs or three jobs. 
and they do this, this, and this, whereas TCS, you have one person, that's, that's all they do is, and they're good at it, and they, um, and they manage people that are good at it and have access to those management systems. So that's been a, a benefit of being part of TCS. And in, I think the results speak for themselves. Our enrollment has far more than doubled since uh, we first um, affiliated with TCS. And I think this, the experience we, and opportunities we have the students is far more advanced than where we were 12 years ago. Uh, and uh, the more many more opportunities ahead uh, for us to not just have access to those systems, but they can collaborate with the other, uh, other colleges and universities that are part of TCS to create an even more enriching academic experience for our students. So I'm curious, are you pulling um, students within a, you know, are, do most of your students come from, you know, within a two hour drive, 100 mile radius? How, what does that look like? Or are you, are you spanning the entire state? Well, Brad, it, it really changed four years ago with the hybrid program. So we were founded in 1969. So you can take about just over 50 years of history and you look at, you could, it wouldn't be hard to look at the zip codes. They're all going to be within the Santa Barbara County and Ventura County. Uh, and you might get, a, you know, North County, Santa Barbara, you get a little bit further out, but it's more of an outlier. And largely for the, for the on-ground campus, the on-site campus, this ones that still come to class three nights a week, we, we draw from a similar geographic reach. The hybrid program really was a game changed because of the the modality and that we have the one weekend a month format we were we were and this was another surprise we didn't we weren't quite sure what to expect we were pleasantly surprised that we were attracting students from uh, san diego county uh, northern california even out of state that would come in to do the program and so we've been able to really broaden our geographic reach as a result. The master's program as well allows us to broaden our geographic reach. And as mentioned that we have the, we've rebranded as the college's law as a way strategically to open ourselves uh, to markets beyond just Santa Barbara and Ventura. So I have to ask, I noticed on your wall behind you, it looks like those are golf uh, flags, is that right? Yeah, big. I'm a bigger golf fan than I'm a, a good golfer. I like to play, but I grew up watching the PGA with my dad, and uh, it's 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 something I still. Not everybody. It's not for everybody. Uh, I do enjoy watching the PGA and going to the tournaments. And so, you know, when I go to the tournaments, I I try to pick up a flag or, and and put it up on the wall. So, uh, big sports fan. And anybody that wants to come into my office and talk sports, uh, I'll talk sports with you. I, I tell students that and anybody. So, uh, yeah. Well, perfect. So uh, colleges of law, where, where is the school going to be? Where are you going to be in 10 years? What does that look like? I see the colleges of law even stronger in 10 years. I, I see us um, offering um, – academic program in a variety of ways. And I think this is where higher education is to start thinking beyond the current state. Uh, that master's degree that I mentioned, the Master of Arts in Law. Now it was designed, and I have to give credit to the academic team, Dean Gardena, uh, Professor Jeannie Ikes, and others that were real, real architects of this program that designed in a way on the stackable credential 
framework. So what's that mean? It means that it's not a closed system. How a lot of master's degrees work is you'll come in on one side of it and there's a sequence to the courses where you have to take this course before this course and then you come through to the other side and then you're a graduate. So we built this on a more of a stackable open source framework that the courses have flexibility. You could you could offer a course in uh, e-learning, which is part of the curriculum, for instance. So that can be available not just to students in the master's program, but students in the in the JD program. And it often be available to those in the local legal community who might want to come back and take that full course as a way of retooling and continuing their education. So we see ourselves moving more into the lifelong learning uh, space in higher ed, continuing ed, than where we're at today, and really embracing this opportunity of thinking about learners uh, across a longer spectrum than just their time with us doing a full uh, graduate program. So we would like to see in 10 years uh, our graduates in the JD program coming back and having access to academic content that might might be an individual course, it could be a certificate, it could be a micro-credential, and for this to continue their education with us onward. Additionally, we, we've talked about TCS, we see opportunities for us to link up with TCS and provide uh, legal education um, to students in the psychology school, to students in the, in the uh, Pacific Oaks, uh, studying education or social work or, uh, or Kansas uh, College of Osteopathic Medicine. Uh, for us to be uh, the hub for all things legal ed across TCS, and whether they're a continuing student or a graduate to come back and for them to maybe do a certificate with us or take an individual course if they're interested in a degree, there's that pathway as well. So you can start to think about from a systems perspective, once you open up your mind beyond the kind of closed uh, framework of starting here and ending here and to more of a systems framework, not just with the college's law, but beyond with TCS, I think it really opens things up for us. And uh, I think there's great opportunity for us to, as I've mentioned, and not just be kind of following and trying to keep up where the trends are in higher ed, but leading the trends and being where it goes next, especially for graduate education. Well, and I, and I love the fact that you know, you're talking about pathways. So preparing students for a career and for jobs that, that may not exist today, but will in five or 10 years. Absolutely, and you have to have, uh, you have to have an infrastructure within that really embraces innovation, that really embraces uh, being able to always be on the lookout for where uh, we need to go next. And having the nimbleness to adapt and adjust to where the learner needs to be going next. And I think the more organizations have that kind of infrastructure in place, that, that, that flywheel of innovation, I think the more they're, the better the position they're gonna be uh, for the future. And exactly, Brad, that's, that's a focus of us. That's a strategic focus um, to be able to, to move into a lifelong learning space, to recognize the importance of that and the opportunity of it, and to think beyond just the, the current way our programs are run, I can still run them that way. Uh, there is some rigidity to the JD program, for instance, uh, you know, the way it's regulated and the way it's just set up that 
you get a little bit of work, you know, you get a little bit of flexibility in there, but not too much. But uh, to build on that and provide opportunities uh, for graduates and learners uh, beyond is what we're focused on. And do you have a strategy around um, diversity, inclusion, and belonging? We do, Brad. It's it's a focus for us. In fact, you know, two years ago with the murder of George Floyd, we did do a deep look within the College of Law as an organization, as a culture, our curriculum. We uh, immediately got into action. We that summer of 2020, we held a series of teach-ins. We brought in um, experts and people that are not part of our current faculty that could bring new, fresh perspectives. And it was in the, the height of COVID, so it was online. We offered these, um, these programs to our graduates in addition to our current students. And out of that came uh, us connecting with other experts in, the, in this, the DEI space. And we opened our strategic plan. I mentioned that we did a new strategic plan a few years ago. We opened that plan up we put a new goal into the plan focused on um, diversity, equity, inclusion, belongingness, and have put the investments in place and infrastructure in place uh, to advance that goal uh, in the near and long term. We have a working group called the ABC Task Force, and they, uh, we have a faculty member, administrator who's leading that effort, and they're, they're actively involved in engaging our community uh, to inform uh, a number of things, including policies, hiring practices, the curriculum at large, and beyond. So do you, do you have any issues with um, student persistence and retention? I mean, once they get into a program or a pathway, do they ever leave? Or, or what reinforcements do you make sure to ensure a student persists? Well, one of the realities, Brad, of, of the and I'm talking about the JD curriculum at large, is two things. It's the rigor of the, of the program, number one, and, and the rigidity of how the program is designed and how we're regulated by the State Bar of California. There's not a lot of flexibility around grading, um, which, which, of course, um, connects to the rigidity. Uh, and, and the rigor of the program. Uh, and the fact is it's one of the hardest curriculums uh, of any out there across all of higher education. And that's by design because the way these programs are set up was a bit of a screener. I mean, the, if, you, if you can't complete the JD curriculum, it's unlikely you'll be able to pass the bar. Therefore, it's unlikely you'll be eligible to be a, a licensed attorney. So our curriculum is tied largely to um, preparing students uh, at this time for the, for the state bar. And it's, uh, that, as you know, is a very, very, especially in California, very challenging uh, barrier of entry to the profession. So we, we will lose students a couple of ways. One will, they'll get into our world, they'll, for whatever reason, life gets in the way, or it's, it's a challenge for us, for them to get the law school experience, the way it's designed, the way they have to take it on into their life, and they will um, you know, often withdraw, they want to come back with the withdrawal. And so we'll lose a few students that way. We'll also lose students often after the first year uh, because they didn't get the grades to the level where they need to be to take to advance the second year. So it's, it's, 
really designed as a way to to provide a very rigorous academic experience, prepare them for a very rigorous uh, profession. And uh, and we're not alone in this. Um, you know, there's, there's a whole movie made about this called The Paper Chase from like 50 years ago, how challenging law school is. Yeah. Uh, we're kind of in that tradition. We're not Harvard Law in the sense of that, that look to your left, look to your right speech. You know, one of them isn't gonna be with you at the end of the year that, you know, we don't do that. We're not focused on creating this hyper-competitive environment. You may, if you saw a lot of other law school movies like Legally Blonde, it's not us. Uh, although it's a very popular movie with our students, <laughs> but that's not us. We, we're not about a competitive environment because there's some cut line and everybody below it um, and everybody above, above it goes in different directions. We create this I think, and you mentioned the student experience, we strive to create a very compassionate and student-oriented experience uh, that's focused on collaboration, that's focused on a, a culture of building a sense of community, a sense of team, of students looking out for each other, faculty looking out for students. And we know, because we've seen this, the cohorts that really build a sense of community uh, within themselves. And the earlier that forms in their time with us, uh, and the more it's strengthened as they move through the program together, uh, they'll do better at the end and they'll, they'll be in a better position to pass the bond the first time. And so we have been focusing on doing all we can, especially in those early critical days of their law school experience to, to reinforce the importance of community and the reinforce the importance of of coming together as a cohort, connecting with their faculty, uh, looking uh, for support when it's needed, and not just uh, going into this and trying to go it alone. Um, it, that's something that people do. It's just it, they can do it. it. It can happen. It's just it's just more of a challenge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, who are your favorite teams? I grew up in. Uh, I'm a baseball football fan. I grew up in uh, Michigan. So I'm a big Detroit Lions fan, and uh, I follow the Tigers. And then for many years, I lived in Chicago. I lived within uh, a few blocks of Wrigley Field where I could hear the, the ball game out my window. So I became a Cubs fan uh, as well. Well, you sound like me. I'm a big Pittsburgh Pirates fan. So you're kind of a glutton for punishment with the Lions. Kind of a like, well, like Pirates. <laughs> you had 79. We had, eight, we had 2016. So, but if you, the, the stretch for the pirate fan has been much longer. Right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today. This, is this really was fun, Brad. I really appreciate it and uh, appreciate your work and the work of this podcast. And, uh, and just, it means a lot that you're interested in the College of the Law story. Absolutely. Thank you for joining the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. For more information on the series, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.